the Momologues Podcast. Stacey Gibson is your name. Yes, that's me. That's me. That's me. At least for the moment. Yes, yes, it is. For the moment until you swoop up and change it up. Right? Become a whole other baby. I do, I do. Uh, the fabulous child uh, is Salome. Mm-hmm. Salome is 15 years old, soon to be 16 in September, which means she's trying to get a driver's license, y'all. Uh, she'll be a great driver, though. She'll be good. She'll be good. You're such a good mom. <laughs> she'll be good. She'll be driving all the kids around. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's how it goes. That's how it goes. That's how it goes. I think we need to move on. Okay, moving on, moving on. Moving on. Moving on. What is your favorite thing about your child? Recently, what has been revealed to me is Salome's um, tenacity in a way that I have never seen before. Her ability to make a decision, to focus, and and really carry through and make some really good long-term decisions and, and stay the course and um, make it happen. And right now, that is my new favorite thing about her. Um, previously, I would have said it's her like witty, wry sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I got to give her props. Well done. Awesome. Yeah. Well done, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right. Right. Stacy um, is a lot of things. Um, and I always remember watching people answer this question, and I always thought they were so ridiculously pretentious when they were like, I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> and <laughs> wait, wait for it. As I continue to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> As I continue to figure that out, though, one of the things that I am is, is a provocateur, is a thinker. I am delighted to think about um, complex things. I am delighted to think about the abstract realities that we're walking with, Um, these unwritten scripts, these intergenerational narratives, um, these psychic deals we made thousands of years ago, and we didn't even know, and um, we're living them out now. Um, And at the same time, I absolutely love to read um, I love to talk with good people like Ida. Um, I love fabulous, fabulous, beautiful um, things. So um, artwork, um, music, you know, things that can massage my ear um, so I can slow down some of this thinking sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's a fabulous little conglomeration. So, yeah, a thinker, a provocateur. Um, uh, increasing traveler. Um, it's time to leave footprints on this globe. Amen. Right? Amen. Let's get gone. Yeah. Let's get Amen. gone. Yes, yeah. Mm. Yeah, for right. sure. Right? Right? Without apology. Make sure everybody has their passport, people. Please have up to passport. date. An up to date yes. passport ready to go. And y'all make a photocopy of it. Just yeah. saying. Yeah, true. <laughs> 
Keep a photocopy. Keep a photocopy. Yep. Yep, yep. Got that. Okay, so how do you think your mother would answer that same question about herself? My mother would answer that question. She would say that she is... Um, You know, in some ways, um, definitely a, a hard worker. Um, so the this convenient stereotype of you know Caribbean people um, being these um, folks who really work really hard with multiple jobs. Um, many many black folks have always worked really hard, having multiple jobs. They were almost always taking care of their families in ways that nobody else could. My mother would definitely say that um, she is a servant in many ways, um, and a servant in the highest order um, in the Western world. In the United States, this idea of servitude is looked down upon, so everybody is um, paralyzed without service. And my mother is both a nurse um, you know, I watched my mother take care of my grandmother as she transitioned. I watched my mother take care of my younger brother who um, needed a bone marrow transplant from me. So my mother's work is very um, profound because her profession says she's a nurse, but she did that for the entire family as well. So um, that's a little bit of her answer, a little bit of my answer. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful question. But And I... As having the, I'm first, are you first generation American then? What? Or did you, were you born? What exactly did, I always, mom's like, what does that mean, y'all? I know, I just said I was a provocateur, and I'm like, can I get some clarification? Get some <laughs> I was born in the States. Okay, yeah. So are you the no. first of no, 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 no. born in the States? No, Jamie was born in the States. My brother's born in the States. I was born in Jamaica. Okay. Yeah. All right, so he's first yeah. generation American. Yes. And you're, I mean, you're the first. So first, second generation being raised here. I think yep. still the first generation being raised here. I heard this. Family. Yes, I am. And I heard this interesting term years ago that I never followed up called Generation 1.5. Oh. And it's supposed to be people like me, born elsewhere, yeah. but with definite roots in the in states. states. Yeah. So I don't know, something that like somebody made up when they were trying to I like so. define the damn self. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, I knew, I need a new label that I can commodify right quick. Generation 1.5. Amazing. You're going to pay me part of my formula. For real. For real. Because so, I, um, I think, too, being raised by foreign parents in America, if you will, yes. or anywhere else, because I've met children that were raised in other countries, right. by other parents, wherever they've come from. Mm. It's always an interesting thing. And my mom, yes. like your mom, she's a nurse. Yeah. Took yeah. care of everybody. Yes. Round two. We got this? We got this. We got this. Yes, we do. All right, here we go. Um, all right, so I asked about your mom. How do you think your mom would answer that question about you? Who else is Stacy? My mother would say that I am... She would definitely identify me first by family relation, so her daughter, of course. Mm -hmm. um, then she would definitely talk about my professional life as a teacher. And she would then talk about, or I take that back, she'd talk about me being a mother to Salome, 
then she'd talk about my professional life. Mm. Um, I think she would also say that I am not as um, willing to accept a lot of bureaucratic nonsense. But bureaucratic nonsense is my word. Mm -hmm. She um, might want me to be a little bit um, gentler <laughs> in in like, in the places of work. Why are you always, did you really say that to the people that you work with? Well, yeah, Ma, because, um, you know, when folks are coming for my throat, like, I have no choice but to stand. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, she would, she would definitely say that um, I am standing on the front lines, especially for Salome, for sure. Um, she would definitely also talk about me, um, you know, as a, she would definitely talk about me as a bone marrow donor for Jamie, for my younger brother. Um, that's a, that's huge yeah. for our collective, like, family history and family identity. When did that happen in your life? How that, old were both of you? That was 1994, so I was around 21. Jamie was in eighth grade. And um, he needed a bone marrow transplant. And it's, it was at the time, as it is now, it was very difficult to do bone marrow transplants for sickle cell. Wow. You just didn't. And so we were the first one in Illinois. So we're in somebody's archives and annals really? and in, like, some New England Journal of Medicine case study. Can they? Do they pay us for that? We can. <laughs> you need to start doing a talk circuit, though. Be like, we were the first, and this is why we're Right. And right. And we are successful. Right. Longitudinal, the longitudinal experimental oh, study. Yeah. True that. Just saying. Once again, Ida. Just, no just saying. That's fair. That's fair. College fund for someone. Duly noted. <laughs> um, how do you think uh, your kid would answer that question? How do you think Salome would answer that question about you? She would start laughing. <laughs> That's the first thing that'll happen. She would start laughing, and she would um, talk about. Um, me as somebody who um, is really trying to help her navigate and give her language. Um, I think she would also talk about me um, not hiding things, but, but, you know, she won't say that I timed them correctly, but she has often expressed how how much she appreciated knowing what she knows um, beyond beyond the basics, um, knowing um, kind of what to expect. Um, she would also um, talk about me as a, I think, as somebody who presents, as somebody who lectures, um, as a teacher, but also teaching beyond um, what's expected and what's normal to teach. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be a good one. That'll um, be good. So, when was the first time you saw your mother as a woman? I think that happened... You know, I keep thinking about the birth of my brother. So I guess I didn't see her as a woman when I was a child. She was just mom. Right. That kind of um, amorphous kind of, <laughs> like, you fed me, you clothed me, mom. 
And then there was another child in the mix. And what I saw was um, that kind of shape-shifting that black women do that nobody else can do. Because, you know, very quickly after he was born, we knew that he was sick. And so there we were in, she's in New York City. She's raising a child in New York City versus raising me in Jamaica. Um, You know, my father is kind of in and out. He spends some of his time here in the States, lots of his time in Jamaica. She's on her own. Um, And she has to make some serious, serious, serious stuff happen on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And so um, just her level of... Um, commitment to us at the time I wouldn't even know to call it that Um, the care the fortitude um, the will I mean I'm sure she must have been so hurt and lonely Um, but but you know the day-to-day grind of taking care of us Um, so yeah I think it has to do with my brother um, seeing her that way through my brother yeah absolutely absolutely yeah absolutely um, okay, so a little shift in conversation. In what aspect of your life do you feel most authentic? Practicing. I think practicing just the practice of truth-telling. Mm-hmm. So the practice of thinking about these experiences, thinking about um, the scripts that have been put on me, thinking about the scripts that I've taken on, um, that process of kind of, you know, sloughing away, um, you know, that which needs to go. Um, I feel authentic when I am working, and that's not necessarily, you know, my nine-to-five kind of work. Mm -hmm. Um, Heart work. Um, spirit work, um, you know, labor that, that creates, um, ideas like, like mulling over, um, not obsessing, um, but like really thinking about, um, complicated ideas are where I feel the most authentic, um, realizing that this is so much less about the answer and more so about the bravery of asking. You know, asking when my voice shakes. Um, when I'm like, oh, I'm about to out myself right now when I ask this question. I really shouldn't ask it. And like finding um, that stuff in my gut to ask it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. And that's what makes you the provocateur. Yeah. Right, yes, right yes. Who else you are. Yes. Ask that question. Yeah. Miss Provocateur. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could be. It could be. It could be. No answers. We don't need to stress the answers. No, no, no. Let's just we'll let's get down to the business of asking these tough questions. Because you, but you know the questions to ask. I think. Mm. I think we talked about this before too. Mm-hmm. As a person who just wants answers to something, mm-hmm. I want to. I want to understand what I'm feeling. Mm. And I don't always know how to articulate what I'm feeling. Yes. Because I don't know what questions to ask, mm. you know, to maybe pull that um, thought out to understand the answer that I might be looking for. And because you are that provocateur, you are that one that thinks out, not just outside of the box, but outside of 
outside of the realms of um, the possibilities that I've been given. Mm. You know what I mean? You step way outside of that. Yeah. So when you ask those questions, you're, I, as a person, it's like, yes! Right? Oh my God, that's right. exactly what I'm feeling, yeah. and I want to understand that. That's right. You completely hit the nail on the head. I didn't know how to articulate that, and you got it. Right. And that's what makes it so when your voice trembles, know and understand that you're helping ask and answer questions for the person who doesn't even know how to put the words together. Thank you, my dear. Thank you. Thank you for that gift. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Um, um, so what part of you has carried over from your 20s? I like to boogie, baby. <laughs> I like to dance. Um, I love to be, um, you know, feeling, you know, feeling alive. Um, I love to have um, music kind of... Um, become a conduit to literally kind of take me out of myself because there's like multiples of me um, and I don't access them enough, those multiple stacies and music is a really good way um, to just kind of, you know, move me really quickly. So definitely um, that, um, definitely music. Um, I think also um, people watching. I'm not a stalker, y'all. Don't worry. I'm not going to, like, stalk y'all out there. <laughs> However, I am interested in people watching just because um, the way in which we navigate this, you know, we're, we're spiritual people having these human experiences, and how do we even navigate this bizarre, beautiful thing called humanness? So, yeah, that's, that's a takeoff from my 20s. Yeah. And it's true though. It's true. I was like, Right. And shades on and kick back. Did you peep that? <laughs> <laughs> you are not comfortable in that skin at, at all. all. You not might your fault. Could have been something else. Yes. Yep. Maybe you just weren't navigated properly early on. I don't know. I see it. I see it. Right. It's and I can see it over thing. there because I got it right here. Right. Absolutely. You know. Everybody's got it. Right. Oh, I know that. <laughs> that's me. That's me. I'm awkward. <laughs> Shout out For to Issa sure. Ray, awkward black girl. Issa, Issa, we know you hear this. Girl, yes, you will in a minute. Call Love us. It. Call Hello. us. Okay, so what part of your 20s would you love to bring back? It's not there anymore, but would you love to possibly bring back? Um... I think there was just this uh, discovery, like discovery of, of so many different things. In my 20s, I started to discover Chicago because growing up in the suburbs, um, growing up in the suburbs with my brother um, being, being in the kind of, you know, condition that he was in, I spent almost all of my time in high school, in college. I went to DePaul, but, um, you know, I stayed at home needed to be there so in my 20s just um the discovery of chicago and like what i was like what are these people doing where are they going what's at the warehouse what the hell's the where <laughs> i found the warehouse, warehouse and never ever what? left like that's my spot for real and like yeah. otis's and just like mm. these places and so the other side of that is that i just discovered these 
other types of black folks because the only black folks I had rolled with were in Skokie and Evanston and folks I met in college. And so um, the 20s was just a lot of discovery. So discovery of Chicago, um, discovery of great, great writers. Um, I really started to read more. And of course it was, you know, folks like Toni Morrison. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I found out who Bell Hooks was in my 30s, actually. Um, But um, like Sartre and Franz Fanon and like Edward Said and um, Paulo Freire. And these were people who were writing, um, you know, it took me a long time to understand those sentences. Some of those sentences, it took months for me to just kind of massage. And when I finally got it, you know, just like you said, I was like, wow, that's what I'd been thinking. I didn't even know I was capable of thinking that complexly. And so, um, you know, that's something from my 20s. That's like, that's some just hot, sexy, beautiful, like, brain lust. Like, that's what I dig, yeah. is some brain lust. Like, mm-hmm. what did I get? This is new. <laughs> oh. Ooh. Bring it on. Yeah, the 20s were the bomb. Yeah, they really were. They really were. Too. I'm sad for the kids that didn't have their 20s. Yeah, yeah. It was a decade of yeah. just, like, so much self-discovery. Yeah, it was. And so much newness. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I am independent, and I can't move freely on my yeah. own and do whatever I want. Right. Oh, so what do I want to do? What do I want to do? Where what am do I, I want to do? What am I going to explore? Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. loved. Dang, why didn't we know each other in the I know. I know. We would have had a blast. The angel will not have a stand. But, excuse me. Right. Right. Hi. At the warehouse. Stop playing. At the warehouse. Oh, At the warehouse. And I'm just for the time. record, full disclosure, I got married and divorced in my 20s. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. That's powerful. Yeah, yeah, that was madness. But, like, you know, self-discovery madness, so. Wow. How, can I ask how long you're married? Yeah, four years. So I got married at 25. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, by 29, I was like, oh, yeah. So this is is the additional space I'm going to need to grow. Hmm. And it's not here. Yeah. There was just a whole lot about myself I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it just wasn't wasn't a good fit. Oh my yeah. But you figured yeah. it out and you didn't yes. know about it because yeah. there's so many people that yeah. are too afraid to do something like Yeah, that. for sure. Because they'd rather be in a situation, even yeah. if it's not necessarily bad. And that's the thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, this person is evil mm-hmm. or hurtful. Or, no, mm-hmm. it's just like, hmm, what are we doing? Yeah. It's uninspired. Yeah. And, and so we keep it moving. I mean, the, the, the insistence on mediocrity in this world right now, um, it's so, it's almost like we are set up to go into this, like, wow. cavern of mediocrity So in so many ways. And some of it is fear-based, like, oh, my God, I'm not going to get another job that pays this well. So you just kind of stay in this position same thing with what you just said about our intimate relationships. Like, well, at least I have a, right. and I don't have to worry about, mm-hmm. and it's cheaper to keep her, and I'm not paying enough child support, right. you know? Right. Um, and and not that those are, you know, mediocre reasons, but there's so many ways to um, interrupt that best self journey. Mm. 
and I've, you know, I've, I've sat in some of those places, so I get it. Mm-hmm. I've sat comfortably <laughs> too long. Like, right. Wow, this is comfortable. Right. I don't feel good anymore, but I'm here. Right. But, right, it's, it's lovely, that's lovely. Um, who do you admire? Hmm. Of late... Um, I've been reading a lot of James Baldwin's interviews, um, which have struck a chord with me. Um, and I don't know if it's the conversational nature. I don't know if I'm kind of time traveling myself back to the time of the interview. Um, and there is a way in which he, um, says the thing, um, and says it. Um, so succinctly um, and so crisply um, with no room for you to come back with any dumb shit. (laughs) It's just like locked, loaded, delivered, done. Um, I admire a writer and a thinker and a provocateur who can do that um, tremendously. So that's definitely one person. Um, I admire, I'm admiring a lot of my... um, a lot of the people around me who are really being innovative, you know, without a trust fund. Mm-hmm. And um, I find it fascinating when, um, you know, out of circumstance and out of necessity, a lot of the people around me are doing and creating and cultivating. I mean, what you're doing right now, this is a perfect example. Um, you know, to be an archivist at a time when people are trying to erase the existence of black people on this planet yeah. is some gangster shit to do. Um, that's what you're about. Um, Tony, Sacred Keep. I mean, there's so many. Um, so, so I'm finding a lot of pleasure in, you know, these everyday, these everyday ways of innovation. Um, Again, without a trust fund, um, that is an act of resistance. You know, mm-hmm. how to how to find and maintain beyond capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as somebody who you know worries about her retirement fund. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I say this because you know this all of this is so real. So how to transcend um, these you know very real and very imagined barriers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. That was that was my okay. question. But what do you want to share about yourself when it comes to with the world? When it comes to business or what you're about now, what you're doing, how you're living mm-hmm. out your life right now. Um, what do you want yeah. to share? And maybe something that a way people can read more about you, see more about you, connect sure. with you in ways. Yeah. Share with us. Um so my my day job is um, a high school educator at a Chicago area private school. Um, after, and I've been teaching at that school after teaching in public school for 15 years. Um, so it has been fascinating watching um, how very similar and how very different private school and public school are um, in the Chicago land area. Um, one of the things that happened when I when I made the change is that 
um, I started thinking a lot several years ago. I started thinking, you know, what's happening in these schools? There's so many schools now that have, you know, diversity initiatives, and they've got all of these initiatives about, you know, like filling or, or closing the achievement gap. And I just started to look at a lot of these initiatives. And, and these were well-meaning people. These were highly educated people. These were um, giving people. Um, and, and in all of these schools, so public, private, um, city, suburban, you know, what, there's, a, there's a massive gap yeah. between um, black kids and white kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and I'm just wondering what, what's happening. And so I just started digging and started researching. And from that, um, I started presenting at several conferences, including National Association of Multicultural Educators, National Association for Teachers of English, um, the White Privilege Conference, um, the Unsettling Feminisms Conference. Um, and so I spent a lot of time thinking about um, curricular, issues. Um, I think a lot about race in the classroom. I think a lot about um, think and write and present on um, whiteness in the classroom. Um, what does it mean to internalize whiteness um, for both students and adults? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What does it mean um, when a school or an individual can wield a curriculum as an act of violence? Those are some of the things that I write about, talk about, run workshops about, um, colonized rhetoric, um, what happens when a word like safety becomes weaponized. Well, I just don't feel very safe around, you know, those kinds of, and, and, and you know, when you talk that way and you raise your voice, I just don't feel safe. All of a sudden the word safety is, is becoming, you know, currency and it's becoming weaponized by certain groups. Um, that happens daily. It happens all the time in educational settings. And what does that mean for all of the kids, right? Not just the, the black children. Um, what does it mean when, you know, white children are being taught um, to uphold certain standards of supremacy? Um, those are some of the things that I am very, very much committed to thinking about. Um, and that's a recent acceptance because for a long time, you know, my mother was like, if you just not say those things, everything will be all right. And she, and she was right, yeah. but, um, but I couldn't not say the thing. Mm -hmm. um, so um, folks can track me down. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Stacy Gibson. You can find me there, S-T-A-C-E-Y. Um, and my email address is just, J-U-S-T, Gibson, G-I-B-S-O-N, 28 at gmail.com. There are a few articles that um, are actually in the process um, of being published. It's a longer process than I thought. So as soon as those go live, I'll make sure I link those on LinkedIn. Um, I've been, um, some of my work has been excerpted with Lee Manoir. I've done some training with him. Um, so, so that's what's happening. Um, I recently did some training with University of Chicago Lab School with Francis Parker, training teachers on anti-racism pedagogy. So that's what I dig. Um, Target Hope is a organization in Chicago that's all about sending kids of color um, to colleges, and I love to do work with them. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, working with sacred keepers and, and hoping to be able to share that same curriculum with those kids. So that's what I'm about. Yeah, 
I'm about a lot of things. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I have no other words, love. I appreciate you so very much, my dear. I appreciate you.